We have to go back! Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. And I'm Grayson. Yes. I did the I did the finger with it. Really doesn't play without the, the finger. You know, little did you know, Grayson has just been a ghost living inside of my finger this entire time. Yeah, what a twist. <laughs> so with Dr. Sleep prescribing us a follow-up to The Shining, we decided to go look at the source by reviewing the 1980 horror film loosely based on Stephen King's novel of the same name, The Shining. Uh, I always want to call it just Shining because uh, one of my closest memories to this movie is actually a recut someone did that's just called Shining. It makes it feel like an upbeat family film. Uh, <laughs> Shining. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's worth checking out. Oh, yeah. that's great. It's got Salisbury Hill uh, soundtrack in that. It's like, ding, 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 ding. I cannot wait to get into my reference to this movie. Uh, but to give you a little bit of history, The Shining, movie made by Stanley Kubrick uh, back in 1980s. He had just got done making a very not successful movie. And he decided that he wanted to make a movie that was more commercially viable. And so he decided to go through Stephen King's uh, collection of books. And he said, The Shining, this is the thing that will be more commercially successful. And so he went forth and he had one, one madman of a face and mind to play the lead role of Jack. And that was Jack Nicholson. Uh, so the movie stars Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, and it's all about this struggling writer who takes on a isolated hotel for the winter where a sinister presence influences the father into violence while his psychic son sees horrific forebodings from both past and future. And so basically because he can, you know, see dead people getting future headcanon uh, and oh, talk to spirits uh. and, and otherworldly things, that is called The Shining. So, you know, Harry Potter, he's got The Shining. Oh. Matilda, The Shining. Sorry, again, Whoa. I'm getting too into headcanon. We haven't even talked about the making of this movie. Uh, Jack Sparrow, not The Shining. <laughs> Wrong genre. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one of the biggest identifiers of this movie uh, is its cinematography. I mean, Stanley Kubrick freaked me out through this movie. Uh, and a lot of it had to do with the newly uh, established Steadicam mounts that allowed them to get a lot of these fluid like tracking shots. And it really gave it this innovative and immersive look and feel because of the movie's inconsistencies, ambiguities, symbolism, and differences from the book. There has been much speculation into the meanings and actions in the film. There is a ton. There's literally an entire documentary made with people's theories about the shining, the movie. And really oh. after this movie's release, um, it did make a lot in the box office uh, with a budget of $19 million. Uh, it went on to make $47 million in the United States. In 1980, it was one of the top 10 highest grossing films uh, of the year. And um, originally, the response was like, ah, it's okay. Well, it's kind of bizarre because it is a really celebrated movie now, but 
when it came out, it was also like Stanley Kubrick and Shelley Duvall were both nominated for Razzies at the same time. So it's like it was I think people didn't know what to feel about it. Mm -hmm. It it was uh, just kind of case by case. Right. So that's interesting that it like did well, has done really well since then, Mm -hmm. getting a sequel now. Um, But then at the same time, you, you get like the award for being the worst or get nominated to in a Razzie. And uh, yeah, it's just bizarre. I, I was uh, pretty shocked when I saw that because typically if you get a Razzie, it, your movie is kind of panned publicly. Yes. And so for a classic like this, it was very surprising to be like, oh, they didn't know how good they had it. Yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah, Citizen Kane was nominated for a Razzie. <laughs> These Razzie people need to calm <laughs> down. Yeah, I mean, even Stephen King um, spoke not disparagingly about the movie, but as an adaptation, he didn't particularly care for it, which is why he went on to make his own miniseries that elaborated more on um, the other things that are chronicled in the novel. Uh, But, I mean, Stanley Cooper... dog people. (laughs) Like, yes, they elaborate... A lot on the dog people. It's almost exclusively a different movie. Oh, I don't want to see Uh, that. (laughs) But um, Stephen King just thought that they were missing a lot of things. But uh, I really do feel like The Shining is kind of like... um, The Shining movie is to the novel to what the live-action wizard of oz movie is to the wizard of oz story like man you must have aced the sats (laughs) i passed Uh, because it they made so many different changes the talking finger thing was a choice of the actor um the young boy who only did like maybe one other project didn't even know he was making a horror movie at the time kubrick was very protective of danny lloyd and uh which is great which is how you should be with with child actors but yeah i read that too that danny lloyd basically did this and like maybe another tv like made for tv movie and then was like you know what I'm I'm done with this. I'm gonna go do a uh, gonna go be a biology teacher in the Midwest. Yeah, and uh, I'm happy for him. It's similar to like uh, Charlie from Charlie in the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> Not the teeth version, the Gene Wilder <laughs> version. Uh, he's like a dentist now, which is just great. Yeah. Oh, and then became Willy Wonka's <sighs> dad. We're not doing that movie. We've already done that. We've been there. Go listen to uh, that episode. But yeah, I I liked that that Kubrick was very protective of him. I I am curious, like what hoops he had to jump through to make him think it wasn't a horror film because he Danny is is doing so many like scary things himself. Right. I I don't know how he would think it would maybe be something else, but I guess it's mostly protecting him from like you know gallons of blood mm-hmm. would be the main thing. And they did things like um. When Shelley Duvall is like running with Danny, that's actually like a a prop uh, that she was running with, and um, and they just said, "Hey, we're making a drama." And it's like, "Oh, okay." And that was, and he was five at the time, and uh, wow. big five year old gave just a tremendous performance. Um, I don't know. I don't know what five year old. <laughs> I just didn't think he was five. I thought he was old. I thought maybe he was like eight. Yeah. 
his scenes are some of the most iconic, like the red rum is a huge, I mean, that's like the poster for Dr. Sleep now. Right. Um, and like you were saying with the steady cam, that's only possible. Uh, the, the shots that they got with him on the, on the big wheel going through the halls only possible with the steady cam and very clearly showing there's no track here. Right. Uh, which when you watch it now, I think you're like, okay, he's been, uh, he's been pedaling along for a while. <laughs> But it makes sense being like, no, that was a new shot. Like right. you could not have done that five years earlier. So absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of history cooked into this. Um, I do appreciate that this was really Danny Lloyd's only movie. I feel like it kind of, you know, captures him in this this time capsule of a film. What I do love is that he has a brief cameo in the upcoming Doctor Sleep. Oh, oh that's yeah. exciting. Real small, like I mean, he's been you know teaching biology for the last couple decades. Right. Um, so just... he's, he's not up on his Meisner exercises or anything <laughs> like that. But he's uh he's a spectator. Um, I think at like a baseball game or something. I don't know. Um, but See, that's, what, that's what it says. What I wanted you to tell me was that they just track his uh, facial movements and they superimpose him onto <laughs> yeah. his finger. Oh yeah, he is. Oh. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's uh, anyway. I mean, sure, creative differences, but that's sure. what I would have done. Uh, what if What if he did the movie and they army hammered Ewan McGregor's face onto <laughs> onto him? I'm oh, here for poor it. Danny Lloyd. I'm here for yeah. it. But yeah, yeah, but the this movie made a lot of changes from the um, novel to kind of make it its own entity. Um, even with the room um, in the book, it is room. 217 but the set for the lodge was actually the real life Oregon's timberline lodge and they actually have a room 217 and they asked them to change it to 237 so people wouldn't avoid the room man they know nothing about marketing <laughs> uh because actually the opposite happened mm. room 217 is requested more often than any other room at uh timberline uh because people just look up what the actual room was yeah because like, the oh, internet so, yeah right well, i guess they didn't plan for the internet back in 1980 so that is kind of the uh a brief history into uh the making of the shining i mean there are so many documentaries just about the making of this movie so if you really enjoyed rewatching this movie for this podcast i would definitely encourage you to venture out look at some of the behind the scenes including jack nicholson getting into character right before his iconic here's johnny scene which he also improvised i like the idea of jack nicholson uh training with ed mcmahon to really nail <laughs> the here's johnny line like, how do you do it ed just walk me back walk walk me back <laughs> so many of the elements from production um, and the actors uh, lended the Shining movie to kind of become its own property. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so for me, this is actually my first time watching this movie in its entirety um, because I I definitely remember seeing parts of it. So cross dissolve to my childhood. <laughs> so um, I grew up in Houston, Houston, Texas, and. Um, on Saturday or on Sunday mornings, um, they would play uh, Sunday morning cartoons, and um, and I remember I would watch The Mask, um, I would watch Street Sharks, all these other shows. Um, yeah. later, anything that Taco Bell would later make a toy of, <laughs> pretty much. Got it. But later in the day, um, 
I don't know why, they played a lot of horror movies. So <laughs> that, but TV versions. So I remember um, when I was a, a grown adult and I was making my way through the Nightmare on Elm Street series, I was like, wait a second, I remember this scene. I remember clicking past it one Sunday afternoon seeing like, nope, I shouldn't be watching this. And I clicked away. Wow. Uh, I also remember seeing um, almost exclusively the scariest parts of uh tv edited cujo um and also the shining so what was this station that you were so their programming was <laughs> all right kids wake up do 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 sunday morning watch some cartoons go to church if that's your thing <laughs> come back home and get the pants scared off you yeah that's i don't it was uh it was upn 20 uh and, oh. and i just that was now, just they do no marketing <laughs> Because I still know our local affiliate was UPN twenty one, <laughs> and that was twenty years ago. Yep. So yeah, we'll always be there for you. Uh, and so that was my first exposure to The Shining. It, it was watching. Uh, I think I want to say he was either driving um, his little uh, trike or he was running away. Either way, those were one of the two scenes I remember early on. Narrows um, it down. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. I didn't realize this was my second exposure to it. It was the Simpsons, I want to say their fifth Treehouse of Horror, where they did a parody of The Shining, where um, uh, the Simpsons are watching uh, this lodge for Mr. Burns, and they take away cable and beer from Homer, and Homer starts losing his mind. And I remember because Homer says, uh, uh, Marge is walking up to his little typewriter, and she's like, Hmm, maybe if I take a look at his writing, it will give me a look into his psyche. And it just says, feeling fine. She's like, oh, okay. And then lightning strikes and all over the room it says, uh, no no beer, no TV uh, makes Homer. So, and then I think that's what it said all over. And then Homer comes out of the shadows. He says, <laughs> what do you think, Marge? I was thinking of something along the lines of, no beer and no TV makes Homer a something, something. And then Marge says, go crazy. And he says, don't mind if I do. And he just starts doing gibberish and just starts doing it. And I was like, this is so great. And that, that scene stuck with me. And then I was like, this is where it's from. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was so, so fun to like, actually see what... Uh, what scenes they were parodying because this movie came out in 1980 like it was in production during the 70s it took about five years to make by the way and they were hard at work to make this movie and so with a iconic movie so early in the 80s i feel like there have been so many pop culture references to this movie whether i knew is from the shining or not i think i still was aware of The Shining, even though I had not seen it in its entirety because of all the references. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot to it. Um, and I think that's pretty pretty typical of Kubrick because he's such a specific filmmaker. Um, he really does like labor over every single detail. Um, and I think those specific choices make them repeatable. You know right. what I mean? So, uh, yeah. I saw this movie for the first time back in high school, I feel like. I remember I watched it on Valentine's Day because <laughs> my 
my girlfriend at the time was like, you've never seen The Shining? I'm like, no. She's like, you have to. It's one of my favorites. And yeah, maybe that should have been a red flag, but... Red rum. Red rum. Red flag. Red flag. Um, but uh, yeah, that I just to me, this is a Valentine's Day movie. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Oh, man. That's... That's great. <laughs> uh, I mean, this movie, I, in doing the research, I actually found out that um, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall actually don't like that Stanley Kubrick gets most of the credit for this film, even though that they were like almost tortured. Kubrick is known for his, uh, like you said, his meticulousness. Like mm-hmm. m- uh, one of the research facts said that most takes that you see from Jack Nicholson are like the 20th take. Um, mm. Even Shelley Duvall's um, scene with the baseball bat, uh, that made it into the Guinness Book of World Records because it took 127 takes. Whoa. The most for a scene with spoken dialogue. It was its own <laughs> kind of piece of psychological terror uh, just making it. But I do have to give credit where credit is due. The cinematography in this movie stressed me out so much they're just Mm -hmm. scenes like even when in editing when they like punctuated the like title cards with just like a a string of a violin i'm like help tuesday oh no uh (laughs) (laughs) what happened on tuesday (laughs) the shot that terrified me the most and the one that made me the most uncomfortable is when we're standing behind danny um and he's walking up right after um, he had been attacked by the ghost in 237. Um, and Wendy is like, go back to your room, go back. And we're just slowly just creeping behind him because we don't get that perspective from characters a lot in the film. So I really did feel I was standing in that room. I'm like, mm-hmm. I need to not be here. A lot of these shots also kind of have a very similar um technique that Jackie Chan does in a lot of his action films where we don't see a tons of hard cuts um, in this movie. We see a lot of really long shots of either people walking or um, just people's perspective of them going through these different scenes. Like we see like the, um, like it feels like we're more there and everything is happening more in real time just because there aren't a ton of hard cuts um, yeah, and I, I was just so I'm like, this is so uncomfortable. Nothing particularly scary is happening right now, but I'm feeling the terror of everything that's happening. Like, I feel like I'm yeah. in this room. And it, I mean, that is a testament to Kubrick's direction, because it's like I uh, this is terrifying. I don't want to be here. Yeah, it, he's a master of tension, I think, is really really what it is, yeah. because horror films today rely so much on the unexpected to generate the fear, and so you get a lot of quick cuts, you get a lot of really sharp sound cues, and it's a lot of jump cuts, jump scares. Um, and so uh, I think Kubrick, to really plan out those jump scares and offset it by saying, all right, we're gonna right, you're going to settle in past the point where you think it should end and just when you let your guard down that's when we're gonna you know pay this off i think is uh and to his credit once the jump scare happens so like the transition to the old woman at the bathtub like as an example 
it, you stay with that and like see her laughing rather than just, you know, one and done and you're out. It's like, no, this is the scary situation and you're going to slowly back out of this room now. Uh, and you, you feel it's almost like a claustrophobic feel. You oh, can't yes. break away. And uh, yeah, I think the very slow, deliberate uh, pacing just adds to the, the, the thriller aspect of it. Um, but yeah. Kubrick intention. I mean, you see it in 2001 Space Odyssey. You see it in Clockwork Orange. Um, it, I mean, that's really what he does is he balances these long shots with these quick, surreal sequences. And uh, it's effective. It's incredibly effective. Oh, absolutely. Like, Kubrick is just so patient. I mean, this movie is, like, just over two and a half hours. It doesn't... It it feels like a long movie, but it doesn't feel like it drags on. It just feels like, oh, man, like because I mean, they are supposed to be there for several months. Um, and I feel it. I feel like, oh, yeah, we've, we've been here for several months. Um, <laughs> but in a way that never feels like the uh, pacing ever drops. Um, and they 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 just give you so many like breadcrumbs but never trailing back to giving you any answers uh, which is something that i thought was really a good testament um, to how they adapted the story because stephen king gives a lot of answers a lot of backstory to the hotel um way back in the day in the 20s or 30s um even back to jack's childhood but this movie lets you kind of fill in the gaps of like okay great what did happen here and what is real? Um, uh-huh. Like there was a while where I was like, okay, great. So this is just him getting cabin fever. Like this is just cabin fever and he's just losing his grip on reality. But then when Wendy sees the ghost as well, I'm like, oh, oh, this is real. Get out of there. Yeah. It was just terrifying. As a film person, I'm just really geeking out over like they, that's what they, this is what they did with that technology. Like they built the suspense. They made you feel like uh, you were almost like in a virtual reality, immersive, like in this film. And I, uh-huh. I, I just, I just love that. Which is probably why they included it in Ready Player One. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, give me a second, Grayson. There's something on my, on my laptop screen. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's weird. What is it? It says, Nanakte. Non-nected. 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 That's weird. Oh, no. Grayson. What? non Yeah, what's that? It's headcanon backwards. <gasps> headcanon. Headcanon. <laughs> headcanon is the part of the show where we share a few unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on the evidence provided by the film. So <laughs> there are two uh, pieces of headcanon that I have that kind of undermines the entire movie. <laughs> That's what we do. Yeah. Um, so respect one, it while also making its core message crumble. Yeah. So my first, the, and this just popped into my brain. So blame that. My first piece of headcanon is that this whole thing was mm. just to get um, Jack a non-legal feed divorce. Um <laughs> This is all just so that he this is just one big elaborate scheme um, for him to get out of his marriage. Wow. And uh, 
because he's like, yeah, I feel like I've been here the whole time. And like, maybe like it's, it's not any of the hauntings or anything. It's just like, this is all just a big performance that he's putting on so that he can get out of his relationship. He was speaking so terribly of Wendy. I'm like, yeah. uh, it kind of feels like you're just doing these things to push her further away. Oh, that's exact. That is what you're doing. You're doing exactly that. The other piece of headcanon um, has to do with his book, um, oh. which a fan decided to actually publish his own version of the all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. You can actually buy it for a small, small fee if you want it. It's soft just pages of the same thing? Well, it's different formatting. Um, and it's oh, 80 like pages. All the typos. Right. Like yeah. 80 pages. Yeah, yeah. You can get a hardcover, um, a hardcover with a dust jacket, or a soft cover. What a novelty gift. <laughs> uh, but my headcan is that, that th- what he actually wrote, Shelley Duvall just took to a publisher, like, this is what my husband wrote. Um, as his descent into madness went forward, um, we will be waiting for the live action uh, adaptation of this. And so it is a combination of her retelling of that story. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I wonder what a staged reading of that would look like. It would be, be really so exciting amazing. when you get to the typos. Be like, oh, but bog, yes. Uh, and, and there's a ton of theories about um, whether or not Stanley Kubrick himself wrote all of those pages. I was wondering that would I was assuming it was just a couple poor PAs that had to like type that all out on a typewriter. It was um all research right now points to he wouldn't that is his personal typewriter that they use mm-hmm. as a prop. Um mm-hmm. they feel like it wouldn't be in character for him to dish that out to the prop department. And so and that that particular brand of typewriter um, does have an auto function. So it can yeah. just like type out multiple phrases, but there are also typos. So that's one unknown headcanon of who actually wrote the all work and no play. Spooky. Yeah. Oh, and uh, nice. And that's all my headcanon. One thing I thought was kind of interesting was I, I don't know what the licensing agreement was for Danny's stuff because he wears... <laughs> He wears a Mickey Mouse sweater, but he also listens to the Roadrunner theme song. And I mean, Disney owns Mickey Mouse, obviously, and Warner Brothers owns Looney Tunes. So in my mind, this might be the closest we'll ever come to a Marvel DC cinematic crossover. Oh. Um, At least on paper. Yeah. Um, But uh, legitimately. So yeah, there there are tons of interpretations to the end of this movie especially with the the picture uh which always makes me think of that episode of community where you see chang in the old-timey garb and then yes. the historical reenactment club underneath it um again one of those specific things that you can you can parody uh and without going too much into that i mean i naturally just associated jack nicholson playing jack torrance and his other Jack role being Jack Napier from Batman. Mm. Uh, and there are a lot of similarities if this were 
the the origin story of it. Um, I mean, starts as the Joker, ends up as Mister Freeze. Um, but the the main main thing is obviously he loses his mind along the way. Uh, I mean, he's got the hair for it. Uh, I think the here's Johnny plays into some of the uh, talk show motif that we've seen a lot recently with the Joker. Right. Um, and the way he jokes just is very. I mean, it's it's like almost like the Heath Ledger Joker or is like a little slow tonight. And like the voice is very similar, uh, obviously to when he played the Joker, but then Heath Ledger's interpretation as well. Um, and the idea would be that if, if he is the Joker, it would motivate his obsession with Bruce Wayne, who is also a child who lost parents. Oh. Um, and, uh, the idea is that Joker isn't trying to kill Bruce Wayne. He's actually trying to be his father in a way and like to be the father that, that he should have been to Danny. Wow. Um, anyway, I also thought it was interesting that Shelley Duvall carries a baseball bat, just like Harley Quinn. So there is a lot of, uh, a lot of these connections. Um, I think the most telling though is when they're walking up the stairs right before his fall, uh, the last thing he shouts over and over again is, give me the bat. Give me the bat. Nice. Uh, and I think that stuck with him. I think that <sighs> dramatically affected affected him. So at one point I tried to uh, make sense of maybe Jack is the older version of Steve McQueen's character from Great Escape because of the ball throwing. But that was the extent that that <laughs> could be backed up. Um, and then my last idea I toyed with was that uh, Lloyd, the bartender, is actually running this entire hotel as an experiment as he develops replicants. And he is secretly Dr. Eldon Tyrell from Blade Runner. Oh. Uh, and so everything he's seen is this kind of uh, closed off experimentation um, as he uh, experiments with this replicant technology and can summon all, all the staff and the parties and, and things like that. Um, yeah. Which would mean Jack is a replicant. Um, so you could thaw him out, fix him up and get him back to the party. Oh man. I feel like I've been here my whole life. <laughs> wow. That's solid. That's ice solid head cannon. Grayson. <laughs> That's the phrase. <laughs> Ice solid. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to go into a part of the show where we like to talk about recast and remakes. R -r recast. R -r remake. Recast. Remake. Um, recast. Remake. <laughs> scared myself for a second there. Uh, so they are doing a sequel to this movie, which I think is the right choice. Um, yeah, if they comes were out today. <laughs> this is a great. A uh, couple of years for Stephen King and all of his like books that he already wrote and already made movies off of, and he just keeps on getting that check. Um, it really is like it, Pet Cemetery. I mean, Shining, Castle Rock. Like we haven't mentioned that Castle Rock's in its second season, and it's just kind of the once upon a time of all of his stuff. Uh, I mean, it's amazing the the longevity that his material has had. I talked about this in It, but I just, I really respect the work of Stephen King and I think his ability to craft these worlds and have fun with them and experiment with adaptations of them. 
um, is really just a testament to his love of story ultimately. So yeah, it's cool to, to get to experience this again, but I'm very excited to see the, the sequel uh, to dive deeper into uh, what happened after uh, the events of the Overlook Hotel. I mean, it doesn't feel like he's going to run out of material anytime soon. I mean, if the Fast and Furious franchise is any indication, <laughs> a Christine oh. remake is right around the corner. I see. I see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so if they were to remake this movie, um, I really think, you know, we talk about mediums a lot, you know, video Like game. psychics? Um, different. No, we, we talk about the show medium a lot. Oh, the Patricia Arquette <laughs> yes. NBC procedural. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and, and I honestly think that um, a an immersive video game version of this would be mm. like, like basically, you know, I, I, I brought this up earlier about it feeling like you're like right there. I think a VR experience of this movie would be terrifying, but also maybe the most interesting way to adapt this i would want to follow the carpet company um that lays down that <laughs> we just got a sweet, major contract sweet carpet um so that's you just like uh <laughs> maybe that's that's your entry point you're like you're a carpet manufacturer in the 70s yeah. and like oh our carpet got ruined they say it's like i don't know 200 gallons of blood and then you're like, what? That sounds weird. And then you go there and then you're just re-experiencing oh. um, the shining. You went back to the carpet store? <laughs> um, I really like the idea of following the carpet company. I, I think you could uh, uh, like Shyamalan split this. where Ooh. It's like, oh, our company is saved thanks to this major contract. Where is it? Some hotel. I think it's called... <laughs> The Overlook? Wow. Uh yeah, that's that's pretty great. I um I 100% agree with your VR uh take on this. And I uh I've always said that, you know, books are VR for your mind. So I <laughs> yeah. think it would I've said that since before VR. Yeah. Um I I feel like this would translate really well. I have played horror VR games and um, even five minutes of a horror VR, I feel like is more terrifying than an entire scary film. Absolutely. Um, it is It is a waking nightmare. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I actually still have legitimate nightmares about when I played that game. So I feel like... Um, I, I feel like this would translate very well to that. And there's a lot of space to explore in the hotel. Um, cause similar to like what they did with American horror story season five, um, the hotel season, mm -hmm. uh, kind of every room presents like a different mystery or a different story. And I, I think you could explore a lot of that. There are a lot of people in that picture. Um, so maybe you play as one of them and you don't know you're one of them. I, I, I don't know, but there's, there's a lot you could do there. Um, if they were to remake this, uh, script though, um, I think it could go one of two ways on the casting. Um, one, you do just a recast with um, uh, Jim Carrey as Jack. Oh, yeah. And Aubrey Plaza as Shelley Duvall. 
Um, and I've always loved Shelley Duvall. I grew up watching I, like Frankenweenie, like the <laughs> the the old one, yes. uh, like the black and white live action, and that's one of my vivid memories of her in that. But um, I I saw a face replace uh, YouTube video of Jim Carrey on Jack's like going crazy scene, oh, and it wow. was unbelievable. I was like, oh. Jim Carrey would nail this role. It would be like a very number 23 type, yeah, yeah. type role. So um, I would really like to see that. And um, I think that would be, that'd be excellent. The other way you could go about this recasting is to just make this another Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence team up. You know, they got the range. Yeah. Oh, that they would can be, do it. That'd be really good. You, you actually made me think about um, just switching directors because Stanley Kubrick, his vision for this is so strong. I would love to see Jordan Peele uh, mm. take a crack mm-hmm. uh, at The Shining. I would love it if Hollywood was able to pull um, one of the greatest movie heists ever and pitch us a movie. And it's not until the credits are rolling that we realize it's actually The Shining. Um, <laughs> and so it's just called like um, uh, writer's block or... Um, snow season whatever and we're watching it and then the credits roll and it says the shining but for real though this was the shining um i think that that would be a lot of fun kind of like what they did with the dr sleep trailer i was watching the trailer mm-hmm. said dr sleep and i'm like oh okay um and I'm watching it and he said oh i always just called it the shining i was like what no they're not no way i just think come that on that up on Surfsbury hill <laughs> I can see so the city yeah. uh, I just think that that would be really, really great. Uh, yeah. No, that would be uh, quite a bait and switch. Uh, one of my favorite characters in this is Holloran, who uh, we follow him for a long time. And mm-hmm. I think they kind of set it up so that you have an expectation that he's going to come back and save the day. But that's not the case. And so it's kind of interesting, his arc just kind of um, like hits a dead end. (laughs) Um, Okay. And uh, I would like to see his time in the hotel because he knows something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, But this idea of a guy that worked there for so long and uh, made it out, I think is is very interesting. So a prequel would also be... um, would also be something worth exploring, I think. Because that's one you could definitely bait and switch. Be like, oh, this is basically like Grand Budapest. And <laughs> like, it's about a bellhop or a cook. Or like make it about the staff. Yeah. Um, Downton Shining. And then, uh, yeah. I love it. And Scatman Crothers, I mean, I he did an amazing job. And I didn't realize this. Uh, he also worked with Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And he was the scat cat in the Aristocats. That's fun. That's amazing. And one decade earlier in 1970. That's great. So that, of course, leads me to they need to animate The Shining. Um, They really do. Oh, well, that, speaking of mediums, I think this would be really interesting to explore. If you do it animated, to be like a Tim Burton claymation style. The twins alone, which we, Mm -hmm. we haven't really talked about but uh Luis and lisa burns have uh, by all accounts kind of kept the persona over the years it works for them yeah um and so i i think 
just each of these characters rendered in uh, that claymation style would be effective. Oh, yeah. Terrifying. Um, absolutely terrifying. And now we're going to go into our final segment where we give you our reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend the 1980 movie The Shining? I recommend The Shining because it really is a classic of the genre. Um, and like you said, it's been parodied so much. It's part of that culture now. And the performances are electric. They they really pour a ton into it, whether it's Jack losing his mind or it, it's uh, uh, Wendy uh, reacting to the horror around her. And even Danny. Like, Danny is... You can really see the shift back and forth when he's talking to Tony. And it's a small core cast, but they all pull their weight and um i i think the specific choices of kubrick and supported by just the the core of what made this story really terrifying from stephen king it's a great amalgamation of talent and so if you haven't seen the shining definitely check it out i'm super excited to see dr sleep and um hopefully i get to see you and mcgregor talk to his finger because that's really what i'm paying the ticket price for because that sounds crazy you see um i know we're out of head canon but you see um ghosts are all midichlorians that's the uh that's the the thing i got that's from this the movie. shining <laughs> the shining yeah. you yeah. never had a father i call it oh. the shining. <laughs> somebody <laughs> Uh, so I'd recommend this movie, um, especially if you um, have not seen the movie in its entirety, but you have been familiar with The Shining. Definitely worth a watch. Uh, definitely a, a hard R, so prepare your um, yeah. eyes and ears for that. But it really is an amazing horror movie that isn't focused on gore. Yeah. Um, it's horror, not gorer. Ooh, Yeah. You should trademark that. And uh, because I so much of the movie, even before anything like quote unquote horrific happens, like I am scared. I'm I feel the tension. I'm unsettled and I'm comfortable. It, it shows you what can be achieved with camera movements and story and uh, really grounded characters. So this movie is really a timeless classic uh, for a reason. And it is. Uh, I'm assuming a bedrock of the horror genre and what castle rock. That's a castle (laughs) rock of the horror genre. It shows you really what can uh, be done with a really good story and how stories can stare you. No matter. Did I say stare? Scare. And stories can share. And how stories can Can scare scare you. you. And how stories can scare you and no matter you. <laughs> no matter what light is shining through. Nice. Yeah. It was worth it. It was worth all of all of the different ways to not say scare. <laughs> and that is our review of the 1980 movie The Shining. Let us know what you remember about The Shining on our social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Flashback Flicks. And it would mean a lot to us if you could Give us a rating and review on your podcasting platform of choice. Uh, we are partial to Apple Podcasts. We we like that, and we mm-hmm. love the reviews that you've left us there. Uh, on a scale of one to five uh, tricycles. Um, yeah. 
or of Tony's, because you know one oh. Tony is just the one finger getting into trouble. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's you know red rum. Mm-hmm. Five Tonys, and you uh, you got you're ready for a high five. Yeah. Yeah. And five Tonys means that you've made it on Broadway as well. <laughs> I really so. have a triple threat. <laughs> And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. We call that a Lin-Manuel. <laughs>Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Well, we watched a pretty scary movie. Whew, I mean, yeah. the the only way to offset it is if we watch something a little bit more heavenly. Something with, like, what, Roma Downey? We're going to be watching The Last Temptation of Christ. What? No. <laughs> Charlie's Angels. Oh. Oh. I don't think you're ready for this. That feels like a reference. It, it's an adjacent reference. Not even the reference that should be made for this movie. But it's a reference like this movie. <laughs>